Welcome to season three of Theology for the People. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. The goal of this podcast is to bring theological discussions to you in a way that's engaging, encouraging, instructive, and helpful. I want you to see that theology is not something that is beyond your grasp. It's something that almost everyone engages in on a daily basis, and I want to help you do it well. Anselm of Canterbury famously defined theology as faith-seeking understanding. And so on this show, I try to give you theological conversations that are accessible and help you engage with the Bible and with the history of Christian thought, as well as contemporary issues, and to do so theologically. I have a master's degree in integrative theology from London School of Theology, and I have a lot of friends who have great insights on many topics, which I hope will be helpful to you. If there's ever a topic that you'd like to learn more about, there's a section on my website where you can submit questions and suggest topics for me to cover. That can be found at nickkady.org. That's N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y dot O-R-G. The first episode of this season is with my friend and colleague, Michael Payne. Mike is our worship pastor at Whitefields. Our offices share a wall, so I often hear him playing the guitar. He is currently enrolled in Western Seminary, and we also run together a few times a week and we talk theology. So I'm excited to bring some of those conversations to you so you can get in on some of these important topics. Here's the episode. I'm joined today by Pastor Michael Payne. Hey, Mike, thanks for being on the podcast today. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. So for any of our podcast listeners who don't know you, you are, by the way, our most frequent guest on this (laughs) podcast. And so maybe just introduce yourself briefly. Sure, sure. Well, I'm probably the most frequent because my office is right next to yours. So, but uh, yeah, I've been in the ministry for close to over 25 years now. We were together on the mission field in Hungary. My primary role has been worship pastor, worship leading, you know, and of course, as a missionary, church planting, discipleship, mentorship, all those kind of fun things as well. And and now I'm here on staff here at Whitefields Community Church as worship pastor slash elder slash whatever needs to be done around here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As worship pastor, I mean, you also teach pretty regularly. And so, and currently you're doing theological studies. So tell us about that. Yeah, I'm currently enrolled in the master's program at Western Seminary and uh, doing that. And I've just finished my first semester and it was, it was hard, you know, trying to find after 25 some years of not being in school, having to dive back into doing that much reading and studying and articulation. But, you know, sermon preparation, I guess, has prepared me for some of what's going on. But it's been a great journey, just, you know, getting your mind open, all of the, you know, just the Bible in new ways, new perspectives, and just the joy of just diving into it and chewing on every aspect of it. Yeah, it's definitely something I miss. You know, I was in school for like, I don't know, a long time, (laughs) like over 10 years, I was in school. And I miss that being out of the routine of needing to read. In fact, that's actually why I went to school in the first place, because I knew that the rigor and the deadlines would require me to, to read and, and that I, I probably wouldn't be as disciplined if I didn't pay someone to make me be disciplined. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about this topic today. I want to talk about lament. And I know that you recently did some research on this for school. And so it's fresh in your mind. You've done a lot more digging into it. So I thought, let's, let's bring this topic to our listeners and see, you know, what you can share with us that might enlighten some people. So 
first of all, what is lament? And is lament just the same thing as complaint? Yeah. Um, yeah, lament. Yeah, I mean, this is a topic that's been with me for many years, I think. I think as, you know, in the worship ministry, the the topic of lament, since it's such a big part of the Psalms, and that was kind of my the focus of my study was on the, the Psalms and lament, though, you know, you have Job, you have Jeremiah, you have Lamentations. There's, you know, th- the scriptures are full of that, but I did focus mainly on the Psalms. But it's it's a major portion of, you know, over one-third of, of the, the Psalms are lament Psalms, one-third of the 150 that we find. So that's a large portion. And a large portion of, of the Old Testament is, is dedicated to, lam- uh, to, to lament as well. And so it's worthwhile to say, well, what is that? You know, what is lament if it's such a, you know, a large topic in the Bible? And so, so I think lament, you know, one of the definitions that I found, which I really liked, it can be defined as a loud cry, a howl, or a passionate expression of grief. And, and it's, and in the Bible, it's kind of more than just sorrow or talking about sadness. It's more like walking, you know, through the stages of grief in a sense. And you can see that the, the Psalms in, in, in many ways are structured that way. It's like, it's a prayer in pain that leads to trust, I think is another way that somebody put it, it you know, and, and so that would, I guess it would differentiate it from complaint in a sense where lament is going somewhere. Complaint is really self-serving in a sense where it's an expression without necessarily a desire for a solution or seeking, you know, many, you know, it's so easy to complain. We, we use that phrase, you know, people complain all the time, but there's no, they have no solutions. They just, it's so easy to, to complain. Give me, give me a, you know, give me a solution to the issue, you know, alongside your complaint, you know, you know, that's so much, that's a lot more helpful than just nonstop whining and crying about a situation you might be in. Whereas lament is definitely we're headed in a direction and it's based on the the character of God, you know. So God is our ultimate, in a sense, he's the destination and the knowledge of him and our growth in that knowledge of him affects that whole aspect of what lament really is. Mm -hmm. So do you think that like the lament has a purpose in the Bible? Like what is the purpose of lament for the people of God at that time and today? Yeah, I think it's the purpose of lament. I think lament, it, it tells us or it's, it's a way to, for us to express to God that this world is not how he desired to be created. It's not the way things are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the, you know, somebody said it's the, it's living in the paradox between pain and the promise, you know, and, you know, it's like you've, you've talked about in your sermons before. We're at that place, that dawn, you know, where, where the sun is rising and the darkness is going away, but we have not yet fully realized, you know, and you know, that day, you know, when, as Revelation says, there will be no more tears, you know, he'll wipe away your tears and, and, and it's, it's living in that moment. And it's, it's a language that we have to, to express our grief expression, you know, of hope necessary, you know, in the unknown, it's lament gives us hope in the unknown, but based on unknown circumstances, but based on the knowledge of our creator. And I think that's, you know, 
that's its primary function. And I think it's an important function because, you know, the world we live in is not, it's groaning. Even, even creation groans, you know, in a sense, creation is lamenting the, the fact that, that sin is, is still here and that we deal with it and that it has consequences in our lives. And whether, whether those are consequences that we brought upon ourselves or consequences brought upon us by things out of our hands, lament gives us a voice and language to express that to God. Yeah, so you're essentially saying like lament is expression of grief, but it's done so, number one, in the knowledge of who God is. Number two, in the knowledge of like how God created the world and what it should be, and that our present experience is incongruent with God's intended design, ideal design, and the way that it should be. So there's an aspect of groaning, and yet there's a, there's a hope, but there's this kind of like, when is it going to happen? Like, how long are we going to continue suffering? down here. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, you know, and you can see it in the questions that are like specifically within the Psalms, like, where are you, God? Where, when are you coming? Why have you left me here? Why are you not listening? And all of these questions presuppose that there is a God that's there. Mm -hmm. There is a God that's listening. There is a God who was was there, you know, at a point and did bring salvation. So it's based on past experience in many ways. And it's based on the knowledge of God, you know, so that that element is very important in the whole aspect of lament that in those questions that we're asking of God, they're based on the fact that we have some experience of who God is. Yeah. And like Habakkuk, I, I was just thinking about this the other day, because, you know, I think of some famous ones like the Psalms that say, how long are Lord and these kinds of things. Habakkuk says that too. And I think it's Habakkuk chapter one, where he says like, God, I know that you're a God of justice. And yet I look around the world and I see injustice. How long are you going to let this go on? Is that a sin? Yeah, you know, and, and it, you know, if you read the Psalms, you can see that the psalmist has, has an intimate relationship with the one that he's praying to. He's not just, you know, you know, screaming out into the dark, like, help, I need, you know, somebody help me here. He's, there's a specific subject that he is speaking to and that being God. And in a sense, that is why the psalmist, in many ways, he's accusatory. You know, that's why these questions like, why, Lord, have you abandoned me in this very moment? Why are you not saving me from my enemies? Why are you not doing... There's this whole... There's, you can see that the, there's such a relationship between the petitioner and, and the Lord himself that, that he is on, on the verge of being accusing God of not living up to, you know, God's you know, responsibilities in a sense. And that's the essence of lament where that, that, that relationship is so intrinsic to the, to the process of lament. Like it's almost bordering on impropriety, right? But, oh, definitely. But in a sense, God welcomes it. I take it that he put it in his book, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, he kind of like welcomes it in this because the only reason the person is lamenting those things is because they actually do believe that what the things the Bible says about God are actually true, right? That God is a God of justice, and yet I don't see injustice, and I live in, in that tension. And yet, I've heard you say this before, that lament is a uniquely Christian practice, that in your opinion, you can't actually lament 
unless you are a Christian, explain what you mean by that. And then I might have a few follow-up questions. Well, yeah, I think the intrinsic, the most, the most important aspect of lament is that there, as, as one, as I am petitioning somebody to help me in my time of trouble, there, I'm petitioning to somebody, you know, who can actually do that that I have a belief in a God, somebody who's higher than myself. I mean, I guess in a sense, if you want to use the lament just in your general vernacular, you know, I could be asking a friend to come save me. But in many cases, you know, in this sense, when we look at it from a biblical sense, lament versus complaint. Complaint is not necessarily, as we said, talked about, there's, you know, a solution. It's just life sucks right now and I don't know what to do about it. And I just need to like vent. You know, there's idea of we, you know, people like, I just need to vent, you know, lament is not venting in, you know, it's, it's something that a Christian does to a God that they believe in and have an intimate relationship with. And, you know, and I think that's, that's the kind of why I would say only Christians truly can lament because it's based on that relationship between the Lord. The, the same reason why in the New Testament, it says, you know, in Hebrews, that we can come, those that are in Christ can come into the throne room of grace in our time of need. Those that do not know God cannot come into the throne room of God in their time of need. There has to be that relationship. There has to be the fact that we have said yes to the gospel, to salvation in Christ before we can. And I think that true lament from a biblical, biblical sense cannot happen until we have have, we have that relationship with, you know, with God. And we see that just through the psalmist. His relationship with God is so deep and so, you know, you fathered his son and, and, and it's, it's very obvious as you go through. So would you say like lament could be summed up like in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul's writing to Christians who have clearly had some of their fellow Christians die. And he says to them, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep, but I want, he says, so that you do not grieve as the rest of mankind does as those who have no hope. In other words, we grieve, but we grieve differently. Do you think that that's what lament is? Definitely. Yeah. Because, you know, if we have, have our subject, you know, the one that we're petitioning as being God the fact that we have that means we have hope in his very nature. And, and, and I think that's what separates, as you said, you know, we don't mourn as those that have no hope. And that's the key to lament is that there is a hope as you say, Lord, why have you, you know, and, and it's built into the structure of the Psalm. So, you know, as you go through the Psalms, you start with and like, a, as I said, a personal accusation or a petition questioning, you know, or a complaint, you know, detailing to God, this is the pressing issue you know, and the dire, you know, and then, you know, many times you're questioning God, you're accusing God, and this gives way to kind of like an articulation, like, this is how I feel about what's happening here, Lord, where, what I'm going through and, and, and all of that. And then, and, uh, and then this kind of gives way to like, my Lord, this, I think this is what you should do about it. But then as you get to the end of the, the lament, it always gives way to praise, which is mm -hmm. almost surprising in a sense, but that's the whole key. How, how do I move from that place of, 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 of pain to, to praise. And, and I think Michael Card in one of his books that I read, he said, it's not that pain like lament leads to worship. It is that lament is the pathway 
of worship. Mm-hmm. It's the path. It's it it is the that whole thing is actually the you know the the pathway of worship and and, and praise to God as we realize through this whole process, you know, it's that that God is who He says He is. And though, as you read a lot of the Psalms, there's no nece- there's not always a solution. There's no solutions given in in the lament Psalms. There's not like and God came and saved. You know, we do get some. Psalm 63, Psalm 62, we see, we get windows into David saying, you know, I was, I, it was a dry and weary land and, 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 you know, Lord, you came in and, and your love is better than life. That's why I will praise you. There was this whole sense and of, of God's, you know, salvation. But in a lot of the laments, there's no solutions, but yet we move from the, the petition, the declaration of this is where I feel I'm in desperate need to praise. And it's like, how did we get there? Well, it's the hope. It's the mm-hmm. whole built on the character of God. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So tell me this, like you mentioned that if you say that lament is a uniquely Christian practice, well, what about the Jews? I mean, most of these passages that are passages of lament, are they not found in the Old Testament? So lament is clearly something that predates Christianity. What would you say to that? Well, I... I would say that the the Jewish lament is based in the character of God in their experience with God from the very beginning. So as they, you know, just an example, if you look at God heard their lament in, in Egypt mm-hmm. and he answered their lament. And well, said, yeah, all that stuff in Genesis, the God who sees and sees. the God who hears, you know. And I would just say like even, yeah, Christianity is essentially Judaism fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's it's like... Even well, I would just add to you, it wasn't just their experience of God, but it wasn't it also that they had the hope of this Messiah. They had this hope of this future that the prophets were always talking about that God was going to bring about. I mean, I mean, isn't that a big part of how the lament would work prior oh, to oh, Jesus definitely. coming? Oh, definitely. Looking forward to to you know, the coming Messiah. But I I think a key aspect of lament is to see the faithfulness of God. In, in the present and in the past. And that's, and you see that in the Psalms and a lot of the Jewish tradition and a lot of the Jewish writing and what we have in the scriptures, looking back at what God had done and, and lament is based in, Lord, you saved us. Why haven't, you know, like he talks about in, in, in one of the, one of the Psalms where they would pray, they pray that they would sing this communally, like, Lord, why haven't your go- armies gone? Why haven't you gone out with our armies? You know, like this idea, like, like you did before, mm. you know, the, so a lot of the, the, their music was, was, you know, a lot of the Psalms were, were born out of, uh, out of, you know, present and past ex- experience. But then we see the promised Messiah and we see that one of the things I focused on as well, when I was doing my study was, you know, that the lament was this the language of Jesus as well, that that Jesus in many ways was, he, he, he also lamented in his, you know, and, and kind of in a sense, he was the fulfillment of all that past lament, you know, that in, in, in Christ, all of those things we groaned about and the fact that we were lost in our sin and that there's no, there's no sacrifice for for, you know, no salvation for us outside of, 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 of him was all fulfilled in, in Christ. And so that was a very interesting thing to take a look at. And that, that Jesus, you know, of course, Psalm 22 is one of the ones that I looked at, you know, quoting those very verses. And some, you know, some have even said that Jesus, even though for us, we've only recorded, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Though That's the only thing that was recorded for us. Some have 
some theologians surmise that maybe he's quoted the entire psalm when he was up on the cross mm. because he finishes with, as Spurgeon, he said this in his uh, commentary on the treasury of David. He he said some have said that it is finished. You know, the last in Psalm 22, it says he has done it. Mm. It's the last phrase. And Jesus says it is finished. And some have said that as he quoted the entire psalm, he get you know, he, he has done it or it is finished is the way that it was translated. So, you know, there's many, you know, that's something to, you know, rabbit trails that some theologians can go down if they want to look at that. But it was, yeah. it was very interesting to think about that. And then how Jesus himself in his ministry on earth, you know, it says he, he's, he, he wept. He, he, it says twice he wept over Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. You know, he wept when he's, when he went and saw that his his friend Lazarus had died, you know, and we can see how he he that was the lament. It says he actually lamented over Jerusalem, and he you know when he wept over over Lazarus, and he wept in the garden. He just the, you know there's this you see that that sorrow in in the life of Christ as well. That lament was something that was part of his ministry yeah. as well. Matthew eleven, Jesus speaks woes over Bethsaida and Chorazim. But in that, I mean, they're essentially laments. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, how many times are you going to continue doing this? Like, I've spent years preaching in your cities and you still aren't listening. Yeah. So, and I was going to ask you about that. So, like, a lot of the passages we can think of initially, like, there's obviously the book of Lamentations in, you know, Jeremiah's Lamentations. And then, I mean, so this, you mentioned a lot of Psalms, a third of the Psalms. Do you say a third or two thirds? A third of the songs. One third, yeah. yeah, okay. And then there are also, you know, Habakkuk, and there are plenty of other, I mean, throughout the major prophets, a lot of lament going on. And then what are the New Testament passages? So you mentioned some regarding Jesus. What are some others? Well, I mean, there's no, you know, you talk, you talk about that passage in First Thessalonians, like as far as there's not like songs given to us as far as like, you know, when you're thinking about Jeremiah, he was almost singing, you know, it was mm. like poetry in a sense. We don't, we're not given that, you know, it's, it's more narrative for us in the New Testament. Yeah, we, we have recorded, you know, Jesus references the Lament Psalms a couple times, you know. Well, we can, we can infer that this, you know, when he was talking about um, Judas, he said, you know, even my closest friend, he maybe he, you know, in the, when he references his betrayal in Mark 14, you know, talking to Ju- Judas, you think maybe he's thinking of Psalm 41, 9, when he says, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me, you know, was, you know, when Jesus like speaking about, you know, who was going to betray him, was he thinking back to that particular, you know, Psalm, you know, when we think, you know, Psalm 31, 5, when, when he finally you know, it says he gave up the ghost, you know, in some translations, you know, it says, in, he, was he quoting Psalm 31, 5? It says, into your hands, I commit my mm. spirit, you know? So you have, you know, you have these, you know, things that he's, he's, he's thinking back on. So he was very well aware of the, of the Psalms. I love this passage in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, where it says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with, a, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. I mean, that is basically the definition of, of lament, you know, that he was, he offered it to God who was able to save him, you know, he understood that lament was the only true response of faith to the brokenness and fallenness 
of this world, you know. And we know, you know, we can rejoice now that through this whole process of lament, you see the, you know, of the work of his ministry on earth, you know, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And so we just, you know, upon his return, you know, he's going to make it possible that, that no, you know, no more tears, you know, mm -hmm. no more sadness. Yeah, two lament passages in the New Testament come to mind for me in addition. One would be in Revelation, particularly Revelation 19, but I think there's also, maybe it's in 11, I'll have to check it. But basically, whenever we get these scenes of the people in heaven, and they're watching the things that are happening mm -hmm. on earth, or they've just come from being martyred, right? And then they say to Jesus around the throne of God, they say to the Lamb, like, how long? How long will you let this go on? When will you avenge our blood? you know, and these things. And so there's this sense of lament there in which these people are kind of expressing their grief and sorrow to God and asking when God will, you know, fulfill his character in a sense, right? Another passage that comes to mind, which you actually quoted from earlier in the episode, was Romans chapter 8, where he says that the whole creation groans Romans, until yeah. now. And we don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that are inexpressible with words. And then, then it gives this like crescendo of hope, which is like, who can separate us from the love of God? Can death and, you know, all these things and said, no, in Christ Jesus, you know, we're more than conquerors and nothing can separate us from his love. And um, it's so cool. But that whole passage, that's actually the passage I tend to read at hospital visits. I just mm. made a hospital visit the other day, somebody from our congregation. And I read that passage, Romans 8, and how it, it starts out with lament, like, we groan with the pains of childbirth even until now. And we were subjected to groaning, not even of our own will. Like we didn't choose this. And yet this is our experience as humans. And yet we look forward to the revealing of the sons of God. It's so, so cool, right? But that's essentially, that's what you're saying is that's the journey of lament. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stay in the depths. No. Yeah. And, and another one came to mind that's one I spent some time on. It didn't make it into my, my, my paper, but it was, you know, Revelation 5. Yeah. That's a great one. John weeps that there's no one found worthy, you know, to, to, to open the scroll. And, right. and that, of course, th then he says, you know, they said, you know, weep no more. Behold the line of Judah, the Lord, the, the, and the Lord, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered, you know. And then, and of course, it just leads into to praise in, in, you know, worthy are you to take the scroll. So it's kind of that whole passage of, of lament again, you know, starting with sorrow and ending up in praise. When I teach Revelation 5, my sermon title is going to be Tears in Heaven. I hope nobody listens to this and takes that title away. But I guess you can. Just, yeah. I think Clapton's already done. It. <laughs> but it's as a sermon title. Yeah, yeah. yeah So, yeah, okay. That's true. Here's my question for you then. Let's get practical. Do you think that lament is a neglected passage in much of modern Christianity or evangelicalism? And what would it take to get it back if it is? Yeah, I would say, I think it's very neglected in, I would say, in Western evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. So as I, you know, in my, you know, both of us spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe. And I would say in the, in the, those, in Hungary and, and those type of, those churches there, I think lament is kind of built into the, the community of the church there, especially in Hungary. The music is very, you know, it, it takes very easily to the, the, the topic of lament, a lot of minor keys mm -hmm. and, and things like that. We, we sing a lot of the Psalms and, you know, the music that's written 
And, and I don't think, you know, as far as from the Hungarian people and a lot of people in that region don't have a, have a hard time, you know, delving into lament. You know, as I was going through this particular study, I remember going to this gypsy wedding in Hungary and I, and I was asked to, to do music at the, at that particular funeral. Did I say wedding? Yeah, you did. Yeah. It's funeral. Sorry. <laughs> I get funeral and weddings mixed up a lot. That could be at one point very embarrassing. But yeah. yeah, it was a gypsy funeral. And it was the most depressing. I, I almost wanted to jump into the grave myself. Like that's how depressing it was to be at that particular funeral. But then I, coming, having been in the States now for, you know, last five years, you know, here we, we don't use the word funeral anymore. We use the word celebration of life. Mm-hmm. And, we, and I, we have this sense where we, we want to push away the fact that death is wrong, mm-hmm. that that wasn't supposed to happen. We want to kind of push aside a little bit. I'm not saying this is what happens in reality. I mean, there's a lot of tears shed and everything like that. But I think as within Western cultures, maybe in American culture, there's this desire to kind of push away that the negativity that death brings into our lives and to not mourn and not really dive into the depths of that where that's what we find in the old testament that the psalmist gets into the weeds with death and with destruction and with hate and with all of these emotions that we kind of mess with on the surface or we we try and push out, you know, stay positive, be happy, don't worry, be happy, you know, Bobby McFerrin, or whatever it might be. We've kind of adopted that. And I think the American church has, in, in, in a sense, adopted that a little bit. I think our worship services, and I'm talking generalities now, mm-hmm. we want to be positive. And I would say as a worship leader, as somebody on Sunday morning, do I want to, you know, people when they walk into the building, do I want to like, you know, to get all serious and down in the, you know, like, oh, we need to cry over this and that. No, my, my, my desire is to, hey, let's, let's be excited about what God is doing. And that's, you know, I, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think the question has to be asked that if lament is such a huge part of, of Israel, of the Hebrew people upon, upon which and through which the Messiah came and, and, and if, the, the Psalms are given to us, Lamentations given to us, you know, Jeremiah, Job, these have all been given to us. And, and then we, of course, see Jesus. We see the lament in, in his life as well. We see, you know, all the way Revelation and as, and as you've talked about as well, Romans, that, that we, we, I think it's important to ask the question, how can if it's such a big part of, of what God has given to us in his word, then should we not make it part of our community? And, and that was a big thing about the Psalms. When you look at the Psalms, you know, as I said, a third of the 150, you know, are, are laments. But of, of that, almost half of them are communal laments, mm-hmm. which means that these, are, these were songs that were sung communally, you know, by, by the church. So they were singing these laments about, Lord, why haven't you come to help us? Lord, asking difficult questions, asking the hard questions, wrestling with doubt and, 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 and these kind of things. 
in a public setting where that's called, I would even say it's kind of anathema nowadays in a church setting mm-hmm. to be wrestling with doubt in a communal setting. Like that would be, you know, you got to be positive. I mean, we, that's how Jacob got his name, right? He wrestled with God in the book of Genesis. And then his name, he said, no longer you be Jacob heel snatcher, right? Like dodgy dude, but your name will be. Israel, he who wrestles with God. And there was this sense, and I, I think what you're saying is really important because nowadays there's like, yeah, you're right. It's almost like if you start to wrestle, you know, then we say, oh, well, you're deconstructing. And then I guess you should just like leave and see if you want to be a Christian ever again in the future. And what you're saying is like, why don't you just sit in it and like wrestle through it in hope and in faith that what God says is true and just say, Lord, why don't I see it right now? And yeah, that's, that's pretty powerful. And I think the idea that, I, you know, I've heard people say this, everybody's had a hard week, everybody's fighting a hard battle. And I think that's super true. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's hi- fighting a hard battle that you don't know about. And yet, like, therefore, people would say, well, therefore, you know, when you come to church, people just want to be encouraged. So keep it positive, keep it encouraging. And uh, yeah, what, what would you say to that? I mean, what are we missing out on by doing that? Well, one of the phrases I came across while I was reading was this phrase and it really has stuck with me like like I've been like meditating on this particular phrase and that this it says the psalmist clearly believes that a temple is where people go to weep and and it kind of almost changed my perspective a little bit or you know maybe kind of sharpened my thought process on that particular place like what is what is Sunday morning for is it just for celebration or is it a time to 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 weep. So is it is it a time to to mourn with those in mourning and rejoice with those rejoicing? You know, can those two things coexist? And I think in the, the, the Psalms of Lament, it's obvious that they can coexist. We can have celebration and we can have lament, and that those things should be happening in the house of God amongst the you know amongst the people of God. And we should be trying to facilitate that. Not necessarily. I mean, I think within the church service alone, I think there are ways that can happen. And that's through prayer time. Like we've, you know, here at our, our church at Whitefields, we've, in, you know, tried to introduce this idea of having people up front, you know, ready to pray with people and just encouraging people to just come up and, and pray and, and, you know, unload your burdens, you know, for the Lord and have things prayed for. We do that when we lament our sin during communion, you know, time of confession. That's, that's lament. We lament over our sin. Lord, this, the fact we have to take communion right now is because, not because anything you did, it's because Mm -hmm. it's reaction to something we did, Mm -hmm. you know, because of the state of our sin. And we have to understand, we need to lament. That's an important part of lament. And, and true lament is, is understanding truly what our sin is and what, and the sacrifice that God paid for that particular sin in it. It's interesting thing you bring up that the, the temple was a place where people go to weep. And, you know, like a good example is, is Hannah, it? Hannah, Hannah, for Samuel 1, yeah. Yeah, she goes there and she's weeping before the Lord. Yeah, and, you know, I have heard people say, not all the time, but I've heard every now and then you hear somebody say something like, we'd be like, oh, hey, I haven't seen you around church. They'd be like, yeah, well, I had something just, I had a really hard week and I just didn't feel like putting a positive face on. And it's almost like, well, is that the expectation that we're building that you're going to come here 
in, in the church face. Yeah. In the UK, they use this term. It's a mocking term that they use for evangelicals, sadly, but they use the term happy clappy. You ever hear this? Mm, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're like, oh, it's one of those happy clappy churches. And it's I think like, I've used that phrase myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, on the one hand, right, like there, there needs to be that, the celebration because we have hope in the Lord, we have new life. It is ultimately celebratory. And yet, you know, the Psalms definitely show us that we can come to God and we're encouraged to come to God with every emotion. And they give us kind of a playbook for what to do with those emotions. Yeah. And I think it's important to, in reaching our culture, that the church reflects the, the culture in the sense that life is not just a bunch of rejoicing and pretending, you know, you don't come to church to pretend the world doesn't exist. We come to church to be equipped to live in the world. Mm -hmm. And part of living in the world is dealing with the garbage of the world. And of much of which is done, created by our own hands. Mm -hmm. And we are not, you know, we are not, we're complicit in all of this as well. And there needs to be a place to deal with all of that. There needs to be a place where people can walk in the, you know, one of the phrases, you know, I, I read was, you know, our, our, our church's arenas where people can come to weep or put their church face on and sing triumphal songs, listen to positive, encouraging messages while screaming inside, God, where are you? Mm. You know, and are you even listening? You know, do we provide, you know, are we brave enough, like the psalmist, you know, are we brave enough to provide a place where people ask those questions? Yeah. You know, and equipped to to point them in the right direction, you know. And I think that, you know, of course, that relies on relationship. And, of course, the psalmist had a relationship with his God, you know, and he could ask those questions. And we want people to have a relationship with their God in such a way when they walk through the doors that they can ask those questions and we can provide them with Christ-centered, gospel-centered mm -hmm. answers to their questions as we talk about all the time. You know, that's, you know, I think that's something we want to, that's one of the main goals, I think, of of what church on Sunday morning should be about. And then, of course, community groups and places like that, I think those are also places where lament can be, places where we can, where there's a tragedy. And we've, you know, we had that within, a, you know, within the last years with the pandemic and all of that, you know, you've had community groups and somebody died from, you know, oh. COVID or someone was really sick or you know, and then you have people reaching out and praying for and crying with and, you know, do, and, and those kind of things. And um, that's good, I think right? that's a poor part of the process as well. We, so I was telling you earlier, so I remember I had just moved to the U.S. several years ago and the Newtown shooting in Connecticut took place. I think it happened on a Friday right before Christmas. And we were doing a series at the church at the time, just going through kind of like traditionally there are four four topics that you cover at Advent. I was, I think the only time I ever did it here at the church, but it was, you know, the ones peace, joy, and there's a few others, but the peace and joy one. So I did peace first, then joy was the second week or third week. And it was right, um, you know, around like, right around Christmas. And this shooting in Newtown had just happened. I had my sermon already prepared and it was on the topic of joy. And it's like, how do you get up and preach on joy when the whole country is focused on the fact that all these innocent children were just murdered in a place that should have been safe. And it was just horrific. And I remember on Saturday night being like, I have to change the sermon. I have to speak into this moment and talk about this. I mean, how can you have joy in the face of this? And of course, it got into a, a 
type of lament like we're talking about, but leading somewhere. Anyway, I think that that's, that's really important. Like, you're right. Not everything that happens in life is happy. And, and yet, as Christians, we do have hope in the midst of it. And that's a big part of how we need to address it. And if, you know, we just pretend that, you know, we're going to ignore the thing that everybody's talking about and, and dealing with and trying to work through and process and just try to keep it positive and encouraging, I think that we would miss out on actually discipling people in the, in the way of Jesus and in a biblical pattern. But you, you had mentioned someone from Louis C.K. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, some, some of you might be familiar with the comedian Louis C.K. I think he's kind of fell into disrepute. Oh, he got canceled. <laughs> canceled. Yeah. But I remember he, he was on Conan O'Brien a few years ago, and he tells this story. And I thought this was just an amazing insight from a guy who's definitely not a Christian. But he had this almost, you know, almost a biblical, you know, epiphany, it seemed to me. But he talked about the fact that you can't experience true joy unless you, unless you experience true sorrow. And he said that, you know, and I'm paraphrasing badly here, but, you know, he, he says that we, we as a culture try and stay in that middle. You know, we, we try and push when we, when, you know, we try and push the two things away. And, 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 and then we're like, why, why am I not happy? Why am I not happy we, to be truly happy? He doesn't use the word joy. He uses the word happy. To be truly happy, you need to feel true sadness. And he tells a story of him being in the car. He's on the freeway somewhere in California. And that he feels this sorrow welling up within him. And, and he, his, his initial reaction is to like push, push it down. Like he said, he's, he texts, you know, he texts his 10 text, send a text to 10 people, you know, to try and get some feedback, you know, from people, you know, some, you know, affirmation about, you know, his existence in life or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, to feel good about himself. And, and uh, he said that, you know, eventually he just let that come and he just, you know, cried like a baby, you know, mm -hmm. and, and just let that be, be completely overwhelmed by that sorrow and everything like that. And it was like, he was, that was always cathartic in a mm -hmm. sense to to then be able to, you know, experience true happiness. And I thought that was very, very interesting because it just, I just feel like in, in the Western culture, and we've talked about it already, is that we want to kind of stay in the middle. Mm -hmm. We want to be positive, you know, like, and, and, you know, keep thing, keep that negativity away. Let's, you know, it's in your, in your words, don't say that because it can come true. You know, these kind of, you know, um, kind of things. And, and I think we, we, the, the, the psalmist goes into the depths of the lament, but he can then experience the mm -hmm. joy of praising the Lord. And I think that affects our worship in church, that we don't, we don't go into, we don't do that as one of the, I think it was Michael Card that I read, you know, we don't do the work of lament, mm -hmm. you know, and then we don't truly experience, experience the presence of God. Because that's what it's really about. It's like the world is broken and somewhere along the line, you have to acknowledge that. And I mm -hmm. think, I think even in Christian culture, we don't want to acknowledge that. I think like mm -hmm. we want to live the, our best life now in a sense. And it's, it's just, we, it's, it's told to us all over, you know, a lot of the sermons that are preached in, in many churches, it's just about, this is an encouraging word to get you through the week till you make it to next week, you know, but it's not necessarily the tools you need. You need to be, you need to know about the character of God. You need to know who God is. You need to know about the gospel. 
you know, what is done and why it was done because this world is broken. And until we acknowledge that the world we live in is broken, we can't really truly experience the Savior that has come yeah. to fix it. You know? I, I always love, I listened to Tim Keller talk about preaching once and like his approach to preaching. It was like in a lecture series he did for, for a seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. So anyway, he said that essentially he goes, every sermon I preach is basically, I follow the same pattern. I say, here's what the Bible says. You already, number, so that's number one. Number two, you already know that you ought to do this, but you have failed to do it. And he goes, and if that's not bad enough, let me tell you why it's actually even worse than you can ever imagine. And then he says his point is to bring them to the precipice of despair and then, you know, say, but there is hope. And like this, and I, I've tried to do that myself. And I think you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, you think about it like a, an, a, an EQ or if you were like how a sound waves, mm -hmm. you know, if you see them on the computer as they're recording, you know, as they go deep, they can also go high. But if you always just try to keep it right there in the middle and not ever experience any depth, then you're not ever going to get the high highs if you never see the low lows. And I think that, you know, what we're saying is that that's actually the reality of life. It's not like we're trying to make you depressed. It's just like, no, just face life head on, be brave enough to deal with it. But when you see the depth, there's actually, you'll appreciate the hope that you have all the more. And it'll actually bring you in a deeper relationship with God. Yeah. We, we, we talk about what makes a mountain a mountain. Mm. There's a valley. Yeah. You know, if, you know, if you're in Kansas, you're like, there's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You come to Colorado, it's like, there's the, you know, or you're out in the Austrian Alps or wherever it is. Yeah. It's just like, what makes the mountains so amazing? You know that, and we talk about mountaintop experiences. Well, you can't have a mountaintop experience if you've not gone through the valley. Right. And, and it, you know, and it's this way life, life is. If we listen to music that way, what is music that is just, you know, all the way, just, it has no ups and downs and mm -hmm. ebbs and flows and everything we do in life is, is, you know, is translated that way. And it's just, the same thing, same thing to, in order to, to experience true happiness and joy, we, we have to do the work of lament in a world that is that's broken. And we see that in Matthew and in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the poor in spirit are those that lament over their own sin. Mm -hmm. They understand their depravity. They understand that, you know, they have nothing mm -hmm. outside, you know, the grace of God, you know, and those are the ones that receive the kingdom. Yeah, and that's that's the whole point there is it's a way of happiness. The Beatitudes, that's what yeah. it means in Latin. Oh, how happy are those who, you know, mourn and who weep and all these. Yeah, so good. Hey, last question. Can you suggest any resources for those who want to learn more about lament in the Bible? I would say, you know, if you don't want to get necessarily into the weeds, but interact with somebody who did get into the weeds and articulated it really, really well. It's Michael Carr's book, A Sacred Sorrow, Reaching Out to God in the Lost Language of Lament. I, I, I would say of all the books that I read, and I read way too many for this particular thing because it kind of got me a bit, you know, I wasn't quite sure what direction I wanted to go in, but that was the most helpful. Very, very well done, extremely. And, and you know, he's, a, he's an artist as well. He's a musician. So Sacred Sorrow, it's just a great, great book. I would also recommend another one that I really, really enjoyed was, well, Walter Brueggemann, The Message of the Psalms, 
that's just an excellent resource, just period. If you want to dive into the Psalms, that is that is the book to do it with. I think the other one that was very, very good, and uh, let me just check my bibliography here, but that I really enjoyed was Mark Rogope, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. That one was also extremely, extremely helpful. I think I spent a lot of time. I mean, I read a lot of like theology books that that dove into, you know, the word for word things within the Psalms Lament. But but I think as an overall picture, like how that can be super helpful for a Christian to interact with this particular subject of lament and and incorporate into their lives. Those are the two books I would recommend, A Sacred Sorrow by Michael Card and Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Drogo. Excellent, excellent resources. Cool. Thanks so much, Mike. Oh, you're welcome. Loved it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Theology for the People. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet. That way, when new episodes are posted, they will be delivered right to your podcast app. My plan is to post new episodes every week this spring, so I hope you'll stay tuned for that. Next week's episode is with Kurt Fuller, my writing partner, and we will be giving some exciting updates about writing projects we're working on, including a new book, a group study guide that's in the works, and an audiobook, which is going to be published by the time that episode comes out. After that, I've got an update from a missionary in Ukraine, also a discussion about the Lord's Prayer, and more. If you'd like to support this podcast, the best way you can do that is by leaving a written review on the Apple Podcast app. That really helps boost this show in the ratings. And so if you would do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Please share this episode with friends and on social media if you found it helpful. The goal is to get these conversations out to the world so they can help as many people as possible. Thanks for listening. And until next time, God bless you.